of us. Thank you, love. Wasn't that beautiful? Uh, I don't know. At some point, we might get to share our story. I don't know if we will or not. All I'm going to say about our story, how Sarah and I met, is it is a story that will make you believe in God. I, w- I won't give you the details. I'll just tell you that before she or I ever met one another, ever had any communication at all, she knew that I was her husband and I knew that she was my wife. Before we ever met, before we ever had any kind of meeting or greeting or anything. So that's all the story I'll give you. Um, you know how it turns out. So, um, But I do want to say right off the top here tonight that we are beyond words honored to be in your presence. I am... I, I'm... I'm so excited about being a part of something that's, that's ground level, that's grassroots. That's, you know, Sarah and I are in a ministry right now that we have just launched. It's, it's like, uh, how old is it now? About two months old. Uh, Pearson's Ministries International. She and I have been a part of my grandparents' ministries, uh, Kenneth Copeland Ministries, for a long time. Of course, I was born and raised there, and uh, she's been with me every step of the way for the last three years. And um, about a year ago... The Lord began dealing with us about launching out and started stirring some things in us. And we sat down with my grandparents, Kenneth and Gloria, and said, we submit this to you. What do you think? And they got excited about it with us and launched us out. So here we are. This is actually stop number three (laughs) in our very young ministry. But um, I was telling Pastor Michael earlier, there's there's just things you get by being a part of the beginning of something that you don't get by coming in 40 years down the road. And that's kind of where we were at. My grandparents have been in this thing over 40 years now, and 40 awesome, glorious, powerful years. And it's getting stronger, and the momentum's building. But she and I knew something, that for us to to have what we needed in ministry, we were going to have to go back to the beginning. There's a certain amount of character that develops And the only way it comes is by being a part of something that's at the beginning. And and that's what I feel like, even though this church is five years old, I mean, with with perspective for the rest of your lives in ministry, we're just babies. You know, we're all just babies. And we look young, we feel young, you know, amen, amen. Amen. But that's why it's so exciting for us to be a part of something like this. And, and, and I want to say, while you're turning to the book of Matthew chapter 13, if I don't start this, I never will. Um, over the next couple of services, tonight, tomorrow morning, and tomorrow evening, I would beseech you <laughs> to be a part of this. Because what we're going to begin tonight stretches over the next couple of days, and uh, it will build layer upon layer. And um, there are some things in me that um, the Lord has been working on for a year now. And in preparing for these services, not just in preparing for in, in general for our ministry and whatever else, no, for these services, the Lord put together something that all I can say is I hope you draw it out because I want to hear it. Amen. You ever played Connect the Dots? A lot of kids do. They may be playing it tonight in children's church. You get a piece of paper, and there's, there's a little image, and us grown-ups can look at that and figure out who it is, you know, before all the dots get connected. But we do that. We need to be doing that. And I don't want you to think about it as just like a piece of paper. Imagine, imagine this whole wall or, or, or something 
multiple times bigger than that with just dots everywhere on it, and you're right up close to it. And you begin to listen to the Holy Ghost where your life is concerned and your ministry or your family. And you, you start where He tells you to start and you go where He tells you to go. What are you doing? You're connecting a dot. And you're connecting and you're connecting and you're connecting. And you're up, you, sometimes you're up so close to it that it's like, where am I going? What am I doing? But then there, are, there, then there are those times where He draws you back and you get a glimpse at the whole picture. And that's what I feel like has happened and what the Lord wants to do in these services. There's some things that he's been connecting the dots on the inside of me and Sarah for the last year or more. And uh, I believe they're supposed to come out. Some tonight, tomorrow morning, and tomorrow night. But they only can if you're expecting. I can't do this thing. Your pastor can't do this thing on his own. You've got to sit there and expect. Somebody say expect. Expect. You ever wonder why these college football games and, and giant concerts and stuff, do you ever wonder why the atmosphere is just so electric? You ever been a part of that? Any fans in here that have been a part of any of those games where there's 80,000 plus people? Why it's so, the atmosphere is so electric in there? It's so charged? Is it because the team is that great? You know, I'm sure they're good. But, you know, just like any other team, they've got their good days and their bad days. Well, it's not just the team. It's not just that band, it's not just that singer, it's not just that performance. There's something else that makes the atmosphere just so charged. You know what it is? You. It's 80,000 people all wearing the same color. (laughs) That's unity. Uh Is there power in unity? Yes, there is. It's 80,000 people all chanting the same thing all saying the same words. Or it's, it's 50,000 people all singing the same song. Yeah. What is that? That's unity. Yeah. And not only did they all, are they all saying the same thing when they're there, they drove, some of them, for hours and hours away, and, and 80,000 people all converging on one spot. And as they all come, every single one of them driving in going, oh, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be amazing. Oh, this is going to change my Oh, this is going to rock. This is going to be so cool. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. What if we came to church like that? Now, there's only a few thousand people in here tonight. I said that for the sake of the CD. Uh, You like that? But I read something earlier this week, and it, man, it went off on the inside of me. It was a pastor's book that I was reading, and he said, um, he said, it's not... The, the amount of people in attendance, it's the amount of people in agreement. Amen. Isn't that good? Yeah. It's not the amount of people in attendance. It's the amount of people in agreement. Yeah. Now, that sports team might need 80,000 people to make it feel alive. You know how many Jesus said you need? Two. two. Right. Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, yeah. there I am. In the midst. Now you talk about an electric atmosphere. You get Jesus manifested in your midst. So can you do that with me over the next couple of days? Just draw this out. Did you bring a Bible with you tonight? Matthew chapter 13. Let's start this. Do you love the Word of God? We do, we do, we do. Matthew chapter 13. Let's begin in verse 1. It says this, On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. 
And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, what's the first word he said? Behold. <laughs> Look. Hey, everybody, I'm going to show you something. Again, it's not a word we use so often, but what is Jesus saying? Look at this. Is it possible that Jesus sees something that you and I don't see just yet? So what's he saying? Look. Hey, I'm going to show you something. Behold, a sower went out to sow. Verse 4. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Verse 7, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Let's understand a couple of things about this. Jesus is painting this picture. Look, I'm going to show you something. A sower went out to sow. And he said, This sower, when he cast that seed, some fell on the wayside, some fell on stony places, and some fell among thorns. Every time you see that word some, it's the Greek word spelled A-L-L-O, and it means some of the same kind. That's important. You need to understand that. That this guy wasn't out there just sowing random different kinds of seed, hoping something would take. No, some of the same kind of seed. Whatever the seed was, it was all the same seed. So as he's reaching in that bag and casting that seed out, some of it fell on the wayside, some of it fell on the stony places, and some of it fell among thorns. Now, that's three places this seed, whatever it is, has been sown, and it has yet to produce. And he tells you why, but that's, it's interesting when you start thinking about this. If you were to stop right there, if that guy just went out that day and, hit, and all his seed fell on one of those three places and, and nothing happened, and if you didn't know any better, you might think there's something wrong with this seed. If it's not producing at all, you might think there's something wrong with it. If you don't stop to evaluate the ground that it's going on, you might at first blame the seed. It's not producing. But did he stop there? No. He said in verse 8, But others fell, or we say some others, some of that same kind of seed, fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So right there, right then and there, you know the moment that the seed actually produced, then you know there's nothing wrong with the seed. If it's the same seed that fell everywhere, the moment it produced, you know, okay, it's not the seed's fault. It's something else. Whatever it is, I don't know, but it's not the seed's fault. Somebody say that. It's not the seed's fault. There's nothing wrong with this seed. How do you know? Because it produced. Whatever was in that seed, you think about it. I mean, a seed is a miracle, isn't it? And everything is a seed, not just to be planted in the physical ground, but everything is a seed. Life itself begins as a seed. And the miracle that is the seed is that whatever it produces, a great big oak tree, whatever it is that it grows into, was all inside that tiny seed. That, that huge tree was in that seed. Life, Sarah and I have an almost six-month-old baby boy. 
changed our lives forever. <laughs> but he began as a seed, didn't he? And that, that, that seed is growing and developing daily, rapidly, right in front of us. But he began as that seed. Life itself begins as that seed. And Jesus said some seed fell here and here and here, but some fell on good ground. And what happened? It produced. What was in it came out of it. And that's, that's something you and I need to pick up on. Whatever is inside, it's in there for the purpose of coming out. Not to get too far ahead of myself, but what is in you is in you for the purpose of coming out of you. The life of God that is in you is in you for the purpose of coming out of you. Okay? But here's what happened. Jesus paints this picture. He, he uses this parable. And in verse 10, the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? In other words, what was that all about? All these people came to hear you preach, and you're giving agriculture advice. You're teaching them how to farm. Do they see it? No. He spoke. We'll get into that here in a second. I want you to see this. He said, they said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered to them and said, notice this in verse 11, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of of the kingdom. Anytime you see that word given or gift, allow that to stand out to you. Why? Because oftentimes, it's not always, but oftentimes the same word that's translated gift is also translated grace. When you see gift in operation, you know that grace is in operation. What is a gift? It's something that I give to you with no expectation or not based on what you did for it. I turned 31 a couple of days ago, and I got a bunch of gifts. All I had to do for them was be alive. That's all I had to do. I asked for two things for my birthday, peanut M&Ms, and I got a lot of them. And money for an off-road go-kart. I've had my eye on an off-road go-kart for a couple of years now. And I want one. And guess what? People gave me peanut M&Ms and money for my go-kart. Just a little glimpse into my life here. But I didn't have to do anything for it. It was a gift. All I had to do was keep breathing till I turned 31. And I got a gift. That's grace. Grace is an operation. And Jesus said to you, it's been given. So right away, begin to pick up, on, pick up on this here. Grace is in operation here. He says, it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. And he, and he explains why. He says, for whoever has, to him more will be given. Then he says, he, he will have abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he does have, will be taken away from him. Now, if you just read that and, and really don't allow the Holy Spirit to teach you about it, at first glance, you think, that's just mean. That's just, Jesus, you're just mean. So you, whoever has something, you're going to give him more. But whoever doesn't have, whatever, if he has a little, you're going to take it away. That doesn't sound nice. But you've got to understand what's going on in this parable. First of all, this is one of, if not the first parable yeah. Jesus ever spoke, that he ever used. As a matter of fact, 
it's, it's the same thing that's, that's related in Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8. And you see in Mark chapter 4, when those disciples came to Jesus and said, what, what are you doing? Why seeds and ground? And why don't you just tell them who you are? Jesus said, and they, they said, explain this to us. Jesus said, if you don't understand this, how then will you understand all parables? Yeah. So that means there's something key in here, isn't there? What does a key do? A key, if I were to ask you, what does the key to your front door do? What does it do? It unlocks. Do you notice everybody said unlocks? But what else does a key do? It locks. The same key that unlocks also locks. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. What does that mean? It means the truth is a key. Where you were locked before, the truth will unlock it. But that same truth, I'd say it like this, that same uh, key, in the absence of it, you remain locked. Right? So the presence of that key sets you free. The absence of the same truth, the same key, keeps you locked. So there's keys that Jesus is revealing in this. And when he makes this statement, he says, To him, who, who, whoever has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now keep that in mind. Keep reading. Therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and will not, uh, will not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. You won't be aware. For their heart, the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts that I should Heal, uh, heal them. What does it say? Understand with their hearts and turn so that I would or I should heal them. <clears throat> so your healing is inseparably, intimately connected to what you see, what you hear, what you understand. Jesus' ability to move and demonstrate himself in your life is connected to what you see, what you hear, and what you understand. But he said here, they see, but they don't see. Isn't that interesting? They see, but they don't really see. The only example I've ever been able to think of to apply to this, and I'm sure there's many more, but the one that stands out to me, how many of you remember several years ago, there were, there were these, this craze of posters that came out that at first glance it was just a bunch of oh, shapes yeah, and yeah. colors and yeah. it just looked like a big purple and black thing, you know, with just, yeah. just different colors in there. But they would say, if you go stare at that long enough, yeah. what's going to happen? An image is going to pop out of that. You're going to see a horse or a spaceship or a dolphin or whatever. You remember these? Yeah. And I don't know if you were ever frustrated by one of these. But I remember what it was like to just stand there and stare and stare and stare. And they're like, no, look like this. You, you, you got to hold your mouth open a little bit. And, and you would just look and look and look. And you'd be standing there staring at this thing, broke out in a sweat. And some other guy would come walking by and go, hey, a horse. And he said, Where? He's like, right there. What happens? You're, you both see it, but only one of you sees it. Yeah, that's right. uh-huh. yeah. 
Jesus said they see, but they don't perceive. Sarah and I have had the privilege to travel. We traveled for my grandparents' ministry, and I'm so thankful for this. But what they would do as we would travel is they would, they would send somebody along with us. We went to uh, Australia. Um, Sarah was like a month pregnant when we went. They sent somebody to help us who's trained in security, trained in uh, just, just helping watch over and protect. And actually, the guy they sent with us has become a great friend of ours. But he's gone through some pretty high-level training, executive protection kinds of training. And, and the, the way the Lord put this to me was, you know, both he and I might see an individual, but where I just see a guy standing there, he has the ability to perceive. You know what I mean? He knows what to look for. He knows how people who have impure motives, the different ways that they move, and he sees something I don't see. He perceives. Everybody saw it. Jesus is saying they all saw it. They all heard it, but they didn't see it. They didn't hear it. Then he makes this statement, and this is one of those keys. He said in verse 16, But, speaking of the disciples, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Somebody help me. What's he talking to them about? Him. He is saying that for generations and thousands of years, prophets and righteous men have wanted to see the Messiah, wanted to see the one that was coming, and God was speaking to them and speaking through them about one who's coming, one who's coming. I mean, he started this way back when he said to Adam and Eve, there is one coming. And he spoke to that serpent, and he said, there's one coming that will trample you. There's one coming, there's one coming, there's one coming. And righteous men who knew it, who could see it, but they wanted to see it. There was that impression of it, but they wanted to see it for themselves and and hear it for themselves. Even David, you remember in Psalm 118, he said, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. Do you know he was talking about Jesus when he said that? Go back and look at that psalm. Go back and look at everything he said in that psalm leading up to that verse. He talked about the cornerstone that the builders rejected. He talked about the the sacrifice being tied to the horns of the altar. He talked about his gate of righteousness. Who is your gate of righteousness? Jesus is. And David, this prophet of old, could see it. He closed his eyes at night and he could see it. He could see a coming kingdom. He could see change. He could see all of it. But when he opened his eyes, it wasn't there. It was just something on the inside. And he said, he said all that. Then he said, this is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice in that day. That word day doesn't just mean 24-hour time period. It also means age. This is, that's the age. That's the day. He, when he closed his eyes, he could see the day the Lord had made when Jesus would come. The Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And he says, that's the day I'll rejoice. That's the day I'm glad in. It's all moving towards Jesus. And Jesus said, they wanted to see it, but you're blessed because you do see it. So go back to what he said here in verse 12. Whoever has to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. 
But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So what's he talking about? This whole thing, this entire parable is all about revelation. It's all about the cover being removed, about the veil being torn away. And he's saying, whoever has a revelation, I can build more revelation on top of that. Can you see that? The path of the just is like the light of dawn. It gets brighter and brighter. In other words, you take a step in the light that you have, and when you walk in that light, then it illuminates a little more in front of you. And as you walk in that light, it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. But if you're standing still, you're not experiencing the light that's waiting for you down the road you got to walk in it. Revelation is built upon revelation, is built upon revelation, is built upon revelation. But without a revelation, a revelation of what? Of who He is. Then even what you do have can be taken away from you. And it was a couple of chapters later, Matthew chapter 16, that Jesus said, Who do men say that I am? And He said, Some say... You're Jeremiah, some say you're one of the prophets, a good teacher, you know. And then he said, okay, another question, who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Everybody else you said you're one of something. Peter said, you are the, not one of anything. The Christ, the Son of the living God. Now notice this. this. This answer from Jesus just thrills me. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. So was Peter blessed because he had revelation? Yes, but that's not the root of the blessing. You're blessed because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven. You're blessed, in other words, because you had a moment with my Father. And He revealed this to you. And what did He say? Upon this rock of revelation, I will build my church. So in other words, the, the foundation of every revelation. I want a revelation of healing. You know what you need? A revelation of Jesus. I want a revelation of prosperity. You know, I've been in debt and I want out. You know what you need? A revelation of Jesus. Oh, what about him? Jesus. Yeah, I know Jesus, but, but, but what about him? Jesus. What about him? He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Until there's a revelation of that, there'll never be a revelation of anything else. And if you try to have a revelation of something else first, guess what? In just a few steps, you'll be off. Because you didn't start where you're supposed to start. Whoever has that, more will be given. You see that? Say, I see it. I see it. Praise God. Now, go, we've read all this. Now, with that in mind, look at verse 18. He says... Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. Well, I thought they all just heard the parable. They heard it, but they didn't hear it. They saw a guy out there preaching in a boat, but they didn't see Jesus. They heard his words, but they didn't 
hear it. Jesus said they see, but they don't perceive. They hear, but they don't understand. <laughs> I was studying this just over the last couple of days. And I've been preaching this for months, but I saw something the last couple of days. The Lord put it to me like this. He said, it's, it's like you trying to watch the Spanish channel. <laughs> I don't know if y'all have a lot of Spanish TV up here. We live in Texas, so much closer to the border. We have a large Spanish-speaking uh, community all around us. And so there's a lot of Spanish television. Now, if I were to sit and watch Spanish television not being a speaker of Spanish, I could hear, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't yeah. hear. I wouldn't understand, would I? Oh, here's what I should do. I should turn it up. <laughs> Is that, would that help? Yeah. Like, oh, I don't, I don't know what he's saying. Here's what I'll do. I'll turn it up. Didn't help. Didn't help. You ever notice that? Have you ever noticed? And I hope I never do this, and I hope you never have, but you imagine somebody, they're talking to somebody, and they're like, oh, this, this person's deaf. So they talk a little louder. To, is that going to help? No. Or do you, uh, this person, they, they only speak Spanish, they don't speak English. So you start speaking English in a little bit of an accent. <laughs> Does this help? You can, you can understand me now. Still, you're still hearing, but you ain't hearing, right? So Jesus said, therefore, or in other words, now, he's preached this to all these people. Now he's got his disciples here going, what did that even mean? Yeah. He says, okay, hear it. You heard it, now hear it. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. And what Jesus is about to do is he's about to go through each one of those types of ground that the seed couldn't produce in. So that's what you and I are going to do. And we're going to take it one step at a time. Tonight, we're going to look at the first one. Tomorrow morning, we'll look at the second. By the end of this thing, we'll look at the third. Now, here's what's so important about this. You don't see it... um, Well, look at verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, uh, Mark 4, and I believe Luke 8 brings this out. He says, the sower sows the word. So that seed that we talked all about 29 minutes ago, (laughs) that seed was the word, the word of God. And, And it was the word that fell on every kind of ground. Now, just for a moment, let's all get on the same page where the Word of God is concerned. You know, as I said, the the miracle of the seed that is is whatever it produces is already in it. Can we come into agreement about what's already in the Word of God? The, The power, the sheer, raw, universe creating power that is inherent, intrinsic in the Word of God? Can we come into agreement that that, that the saving power of God, the miracle that is taking place by the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands all over the world every day when somebody is born again and their life is removed from darkness and put into light, that miracle that takes place is because of the power that's in the Word. I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. It's supposed to produce something. He, said, he didn't say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. He said, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the power because it produces something. 
It produces salvation. And can we come into agreement that salvation is not just, yay, I'm going to heaven when I die. It's not just an escape from hell and eternity. It's an escape from hell on earth. That's what's in the Word of God right now. Hebrews tells us that the Word of God is alive. It's sharp. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the ability to divide asunder the soul, the spirit, the joints, and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God is so alive that it can move to every part of your entire existence, spirit, soul, and body. That's what's in the Word of God. Can we come into agreement that the healing power of God is in His Word? His healing power would not be in me or in you unless His Word was in me or in you. That's what's in His Word. That's what's in His Word. And that's why I said to you at the beginning of this thing, just rest and let the Word do what the Word can do. I've been reading uh, an autobiography the last six months because it's about 600 pages long. Uh, Reinhard Bonnke, you ever heard of that man? Oh my God. This book is changing me. He, the things this man has seen, I, I read a chapter and I think, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? But he talks about one of the very first messages that when he was in his own ministry. He stood and preached and he wasn't, he wasn't so familiar with the power elements of the nature of God. He just knew to preach Jesus. And he was in this tiny little hall where he thought a whole lot more people would be, and there was about 100 there. There's about 800 seats. And he was kind of discouraged, but he said, I'm just going to preach Jesus anyway. And about 15 minutes into his message, he's preaching, and this woman stands up and says, I'm healed! Just interrupts the whole message. I'm healed! This is not something he was familiar with. This is not something he set out to do. He's just preaching the word, and a woman stands up and shouts, I'm healed! And as soon as she does, a guy over on this side stands up and shouts, Me too! And all of a sudden, people everywhere are just popping up in that crowd. I'm healed too! I'm healed too! And he said, Okay, is there anybody else sick in here? (laughs) And people stood up. He said, come to the front. And he laid his hands on someone, and this woman just fell out under the power of God. He'd never seen that. He'd never experienced that. He'd never heard of that. He wasn't even sure it was God. And the only way he knew it was God was she fell down blind and got up with sight. What are you going to (laughs) do? What are you going to do? And all of it, all of it came because he preached the word. He just let the Word do what the Word can do. And, and, and Sarah and I believe in laying hands on the sick. Absolutely we do. Jesus said do it, so we do it. But you know what else I believe in? Me preaching, you sitting there and being healed. Why? Because the Word's being preached. That's what's in the Word. And man, if anybody was ever born in a Word family, it was this guy right here. What's got two thumbs and born in the Word of Faith family? This guy. Okay? That was a little, a little cheesy, I know. But I was. I mean, brought up in the household, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth and Glory Copeland, your grandparents, my mom and dad were in ministry full time from the time I was born. I just grew up, grew up in this thing. I mean, we are a word family. And if the word couldn't get it, we didn't want it. And if we were sick, it was go turn on the word. And I just, kids in my class that would be gone out of school two or three days, 
come back and say, were you sick? Yeah, what'd you do? I just watched TV. My mom brought me food and all this kind of stuff. I was like, that is not what happens in my house. <laughs> if we come in and say we're not feeling good, go get the tapes, go get your Bible, go get the books. We're going to turn the CDs on. And it's just the word going all day long, all day long, all day long. Are you confessing scriptures? Jeremy, turn that TV off. That TV didn't die for you. That TV didn't shed its blood for you. <laughs> you think twice about coming in and going, I don't feel good today. It's not going to be a day laying on your back. And if you are laying down, the word's going. The word's going. If you're asleep, the word's going. The word's going. That's just the way we grew up, believing that the word works. But here's something interesting. The Word, the seed of the Word of God, got planted four times in this parable, and it only reproduced once. Now, that's saying something. That's serious. When you begin to understand what's in the Word and its ability to reproduce, and then to find out that it got planted four times and three out of four times didn't work, what's going on? I don't, I don't imagine God is satisfied with those statistics, with those kinds of numbers. I don't imagine He's satisfied that only 25% of His children are experiencing the results that are inherent in His Word. I can't imagine that He's content with three out of four of His children broke, sick, dying, depressed, divorced. I can't imagine that He's satisfied with that. Anybody in here have four kids? Anybody at all? You have four kids? Would you be okay if three out of four of them were just miserable, out of their mind, miserable? Well, you got one that's doing good. What's the matter with you? <laughs> be thankful. You got one kid, he's doing okay. But the other three, not so much. That, does, that, does that make you content? No. I can't imagine that it makes the heart of the Father content that His Word is only producing 25% of the time. So here's our assignment. Tonight, tomorrow morning, tomorrow night. Find out why we're not receiving. Find out why the Word has not been able to produce in our lives. Why are we failing to receive God's best? And the other part of our assignment is fix it. <laughs> Let's fix it. So Jesus is going to take us through this and show us. Here we go. Verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. The wayside, if you study this, you'll find it's just a road. It's actually just a road that probably borders the field where this guy is sowing seed. And the thing about the road, it's an old, dirt, rugged road that's been trod so many times. Animals and people just back and forth, back and forth, that it's become a hard road, not soft earth. So when the seed falls on it, it doesn't go into the ground. It just lands there on top. And Jesus said when it just lands there, the birds come and snatch it away. And he said, this is that man, the one who hears the word. So the guy heard the word. The guy received the word. The guy was in church. I come to church. What else do you want from me? He was in service. 
He heard the word, but when he did not understand it, somebody say understand it. When he did not understand it, the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Why did it get stolen? He didn't understand it. It didn't sink in. It didn't penetrate. It's like somebody standing there throwing seed at your head and just watching it bounce off. It didn't sink in. It didn't go in. And if a seed can't penetrate the earth, it can't go through its process and develop and grow and reproduce. Why didn't it reproduce? He didn't understand it. He didn't understand it. This word understanding means, the definition I want to use of it tonight means three things. It means to grasp the meaning, the nature, and the value of something. The meaning, the nature, and the value, to grasp it. Now, when we think of the word understanding, that, that we usually kind of camp out on the first thing, to, to grasp the meaning of it. Yeah. I understand that. Maybe, maybe you understand how cars work and engines and motors work. I, for one, do not understand that. I don't have an understanding of that. I don't know the, the, the meaning. I don't grasp how all of those things work together. Some people do. I don't. <laughs> And, and, and that's part of this word, understanding. You, you remember this in Proverbs chapter 4. Hear, my children. What did he say? Hear. Proverbs chapter 4. Is this Old Testament or New Testament? This is Old Testament. We're reading New Testament. Notice all these things are just working hand in hand. Hear, my children. Listen to this. The instruction of a father. Give attention to no understanding. Look at verse 5. He says this. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all your getting, get understanding. Listen to a man preach about this particular scripture. And he said something so simple but yet so profound. He said, if the scripture tells you to get understanding, that means two things. Number one, you need it. If he says, get it, that means I must need it. But the other thing it means is it must be available. If we were at the house and I looked in the refrigerator and I said, oh, we're out of milk. And I say to Sarah, Sarah, go get, well, <clears throat> Sarah says to Jeremy, <laughs> go, get, go get some milk. What does that mean? It means that, number one, we need some. She wouldn't send me out for milk if we got a refrigerator full of it. So we must need some. But also it means that somewhere out there, probably not too far away, there's some milk available to you at a nominal fee. It can be yours tonight. It's available. So when the scripture says, get understanding, and you and I need to recognize first of all, we need it. If he says, get it, it means I need it. But it also means it's available. God has made it available. The ability to grasp the meaning. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. The ability to grasp the meaning. Let me read this to you out of Ephesians 1, and I'll try to move quickly through this, because this is not where I want to spend the remainder of our time. But it says this, The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, this is Paul praying this by the Spirit of God, may give you, okay, so grace is in operation, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, this is everything we've been talking about, in the knowledge of 
Him, Jesus, that the eyes, the ability to see, can you see all these things coming together in one verse? The eyes of our understanding, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and the ability to know the meaning of that. You know, it's not okay just to sit in church and listen to the preacher preach and go, I didn't get it, and walk out. If you don't understand something, don't be satisfied with the lack of understanding about it. Go after it, man. Go after it. I know growing up, I heard so many guest speakers. We would have guys coming through the church all the time. And anytime we'd have somebody come through preaching on end time events or something like that or, or, or the book of Revelation, I don't get it. <laughs> I didn't understand it. But you know what? It's not okay just to sit there and go, I don't get this. I don't understand it. What's for lunch? If there's something you don't understand the meaning of, ask the Holy Ghost. Talk to me about this. Show me this. Particularly with, with the ministry of Jesus. These guys didn't understand what the parable was all about. Why even use a parable? So what they do? They asked. And he said, okay, now hear it. One of my favorites is when people question Jesus about fasting. Why don't your disciples fast? We're going to talk about fasting. You know what he said? He talked to him about the, the bridegroom. You don't fast when the bridegroom's here. But he goes immediately from that into, you don't sew an, unwa an unwashed piece of garment, an unwashed cloth onto an old garment because they'll tear away and it'll ruin them both. And he went immediately from that into, you don't pour new wine into old wineskins because it'll burst and it'll all be ruined. And if I'm the guy that asked the question about fasting, I'm probably like, uh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for the sewing advice. And uh, I now I know where to pour the wine and all that. But about fasting... And, and that puzzled me. I asked a lot of, I don't know, why, Jesus? Why did you do that to this guy? What's the meaning of this? And no sooner did I ask him, but, but just a few days after that, I started reading and, the, and I came across some commentary and began to understand that whole thing is about grace. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah. The whole thing. He's saying you can't, you can't take the grace of God, this new, unused, unworn out, un, uh, untethered, I mean, just perfect in every way. You can't take that and sew it to an old covenant. Yeah. You can't try to do both at the same time. They'll tear away from each other. He said you can't pour that grace, that new wine that's still living and breathing and wine when it was new was always expanding. It's like it had a life of its own. And you can't pour that into an old wine skin that's brittle and old. Why? Because they get, they get hard, and when that wine is in there still expanding, it'll burst, and it'll ruin them both. You can't pour the new way of doing things, the new way of living. You can't mix it with the old law. They don't mix, and you just end up ruined on both ends. All because I said, what does that mean? Don't be satisfied with a lack of understanding of the meaning of it. Ask him. Ask him. Understanding means to grasp the meaning and the nature, the nature of something. You understand, if you know the nature 
of it, of a thing, whatever it is. If you know its origin, if you know its makeup and where it came from and, and what it's all about, it's, it's easier to understand what it actually does. The, the, understanding the nature of a thing is almost as important as understanding that thing itself, I mean, where it's coming from. And to understand God and to understand Jesus and to have an understanding of that, you've got to know His character. The misconceptions of God come from a misconception of His character. Not knowing who He really is, building, building a, a hypothesis of God, building a theory on, of God on things you've heard over and over and over. Tradition. That's what tradition is. Something that's been handed down. This is the definition of it. Tradition is something that's been handed down from one person to another. That's tradition. You remember what Jesus said about tradition? He said, your traditions have made what? The what? Do you know this verse? Your traditions have made the word of no effect. All the powers out of the word. Everything that we talked about in the word of God, completely drained and sucked out. Why? Tradition. Because you're living based on what somebody told you about God and not your own revelation of Him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What did Jesus say after Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God? He said, I'm going to build my church on this. And what did He say after that? Don't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. Don't tell anyone. You remember how many times Jesus would say that to people? They'd be healed. Good. Don't tell anybody. Which to me, I'm kind of like, that's opposite of what we're <laughs> supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be telling people. But why did Jesus tell Peter, don't tell anybody? He didn't want Peter to rob you of the same opportunity he had to hear directly from the Father. Because the moment you believe something just because I said it, it's become tradition. That's what's happened in our circles, that's what's happened outside our circles in the body of Christ. I mean, you got, you got some of the most powerful teaching on the principles of faith and how to live and walk by faith. But somebody hears a message that Kenneth Copeland preached or Brother Hagen or whoever, and they say, ooh, Kenneth Copeland I did that. Did that. I'm going to do that. It's become tradition just like that. You may have somebody else doing the, doing the, walking out the same principles, but it's producing for them because they did it when the Holy Spirit brought it to life on the inside. That's the difference between tradition and revelation. It's understanding the nature, where it came from. Take a statement like this, just this sentence. Hey, I've got something for you. Does it matter who said that? Like if somebody said to you, I've got something for you. Now, will you have a different expectation of that something based on who said it? What if your, your, your crazy old aunt who for every year of your life has given you the most strange, bizarre, random gift dug up from the depths of her basement every year, and she calls and says, hey, I've got something for you. It's like, oh, good, okay. But what if, what if you've got a wealthy, beyond imagination grandpa or grandma or daddy who calls you up and says, hey, I got something for you. I'm on my way. <laughs> Why? You understand the nature. You understand where that gift is coming from. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift, grace is an operation. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father. 
Do you know what verse 16 says, though? The verse before 17? Did you know 16 comes before 17? And that's actually true throughout the entire Bible. Sometimes it would do good to read the verse before. Do not be deceived. Don't be confused about this. Understand the nature of the gift. When you understand who's giving it, you understand how good it is. Every good gift comes from the Father. And when you understand your Father's nature is good, then you know the gift is good. There's an understanding. Amen? Amen. The last thing he, that I want to look at with understanding, he said this, or this is our definition of it. Understanding means to grasp the meaning, the nature, or the value of something. The meaning, the nature, or the value. Do you have a few more minutes? Can, can we just jump in this just for a few minutes? Like I said, there's some things in here. I want, oh, I've got to get them out. The value of it. This is where I think we might be missing it. What's keeping the Word of God from producing in our lives? All the inherent power, all the ability resident within it to heal your body, to restore your marriage, to bring your kids home. Whatever it is you need in this life, the Word has the power to do it and to deliver it. What's keeping it from working? Some of you, if you're like me at all, you have heard message after message after message. You might even have closets at home, just shelf after shelf full of CDs and DVDs. And Anybody still have tapes? You got tapes? You go way back. You got tapes. And you got tape libraries. Right? You got some Kenneth Copeland tapes. I know you do. And you've heard it, and you've heard it, and you've heard it, and you've heard it. And there's this expectation built up in you that this is supposed to be doing something. This is supposed to be working. But Jesus said the word itself got planted four times, and it only reproduced once. What's keeping it from working? Do you know what I believe is keeping it from working in many of our lives? We don't grasp the value of it. The value of it. The Word of God is so precious, so valuable. And when you hear the Word, let's say the Word on healing, you hear Pastor Michael preach to you 1 Peter 2.24, by His stripes you were healed. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, everyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. That the blessing of Abraham might come, come upon us. Maybe you've heard that. And, and, and that's supposed to be at work in your life. But what keeps it from being at work is when you take the word that you've heard and you try to put it on the same level as the symptom in your body. And you, th- and you say, yeah, I've heard that scripture before, but I'm still sick. Right then and there, you valued, you honored a symptom above the word. And that's the difference between what you've heard and what you know. You've heard scripture on healing, but when you know it is when it's become your experience. And you experience it by faith before you ever experience it in, in the natural world. And you're, you're so persuaded that the Word of God, I don't care how I feel, His Word is more real. 
And some people say, well, you know, I understand what you're saying, but I'm just a realist. Hey, I'm a realist too. The only difference is this is more real to me than what's out here. I'm very, very real. I am a realist, but this is what's real to me. We don't look at things that are seen, but things that are unseen, because things that are seen are temporary. Things that are unseen are what? Eternal, real, forever, lasting. I'm a realist, man, but this is what's real to me. What is that? That's valuing, esteeming the Word of God. Notice what happens when the word is invaluable to you. How does it become ineffective in your life? Unaffected in your life? Satan comes immediately and what? Steals it. What happens to valuable things that are left unprotected? They get stolen. So you can see that this is what Jesus was talking about. People that don't value the word as the highest authority... You got, it got delivered to you. It got preached to you. It may have been a beautiful, wonderful message. And the guy next to you may have gotten healed listening to it. But why didn't it produce the same thing in you? You value it different. Value it different. Things that are valuable, that are left unprotected, get stolen. If you look at Mark 4, it says this, Satan comes immediately to take away the word that was sown in his heart. That word take away, let me read this to you. It's a a Greek word that means to take away from another what is his or what is committed to him. To take away what was already yours. Now catch this. Jesus said in John 10 that the thief does not come except to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Okay? But get a hold of this. He could not be a thief unless you had something. Is that right? Why can't you steal a Ferrari out of my garage tonight? Why? I don't have one. You can't steal from me what I don't have. But Jesus called him a thief, which says to me, I got something. Something belongs to me. And Jesus said, the answer to it is, I've come that you'd have life and have it more abundantly till it overflows, excessive life. He's come to steal what you have, to steal, kill, and destroy. He could not kill if life wasn't at work in you. You may feel dead, but you are not dead. Don't be a dead man just up here walking around. Get in touch with the life of God that is in you. He's come to destroy. He could not destroy unless there was something built up on the inside of you. Recognize that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And get a hold, Christian, of what is in you. Jesus said he comes to take away the word that was sown. How is it stolen when we don't value it? Let me give you two examples of what happens when you don't value. Because of time, we won't turn there. But 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 29 and 30. Do you have that on the screen? Can we look at that? Let's look at this real quick. <clears throat> the man of God speaking to the high priest at the time, he says, Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me? Can you see the word honor? Can you see the connection to value? Yeah. He's saying, you value, and if you, if you don't know what was going on here, his sons yeah. were hellacious, yeah. sinning big time, yeah. okay? And he said, you value, you honor your sons more than you honor me. Yeah. Is it okay to honor somebody more than God? No. 
Is it okay to honor family more than you honor God? You honor your sons more than you honor me. To make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Go to the next verse. Therefore, the Lord, of God, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Those who honor God, he can honor. But those who despise him will be lightly esteemed. We use the word despise so differently than this. You see the connection? You honor him, he honors you. The connection here between despise and lightly esteem. We think despise as in, oh, gross, I hate that. But God thinks of despise as just to take it lightly. The word is stolen from you when you sit in a message and go, I've heard this before. I heard this one before. The word's immediately stolen. Because there's a difference between what you've heard and what you know. And had you been eagerly expecting the life that's in that word. Scripture, again, you might have heard a thousand times before. But that thousand and first, the light could have come on. And you could have said, I see that. But because you said, I've heard this before. You lightly esteemed it. Then it lightly esteemed you. That's what happens. Here's a New Testament example. Mark chapter 10. Remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus. What did he come to Jesus saying? Good teacher, tell me what I must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus began speaking to him. He talked to him about the commandments. And this guy answered and said, I've done all that. Which is kind of like, really? (laughs) Okay, sure you have. And he said, one thing you lack. Jesus said to this young man, one thing you lack. Scripture says Jesus looked at him and loving him, he said, one thing you lack. Go and sell what you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And what happened? This young man walked away sad because he had great wealth. Or in other words, he valued having some money above a personal invitation from Jesus Christ to come follow him. He took those two things and he weighed them out and he put them on the same level just to see how they'd weigh out. And he said, no, I need to have some money. You know where to me he missed the whole thing? He didn't see Jesus. He saw a good teacher. He didn't see Savior, Master, Son of David. Other people cried out to him and the people that cried out to him who recognized him, Son of David, have mercy on me. Guess what? Mercy was had on them because they recognized. But he said, good teacher, good teacher. What did Jesus say? His first response was, why do you call me good? There is none good but God. Guess what? I didn't know what that verse meant. I'm thinking, Jesus, you're good. Don't be so hard on yourself, Jesus. You're good too. (laughs) Lord, what's this mean? And began to study it and found out that Jesus... Pay attention here. Jesus was questioning this young man on his concept of good. Why do you call me good? What's your concept of of what good really is? God is what is good. So so what are you calling me good? Where's your 
Do you understand the nature of good? Do you understand the meaning of good? Do you grasp the, the true value of good? Good teacher. Hey, folks, my, my sixth grade math teacher was a good teacher, but he did not die for me. He did not shed his blood for me. And to see Jesus as a good teacher is to see him in an incomplete way. And so when Jesus extended to him this offer, which was truly good, the highest good, the goodest good, it doesn't get gooder than this good, come follow me, because of an improper value on what is really good, he missed the whole thing. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being face-to-face with Jesus himself? And having him personally extend an offer to you to come follow him and, and, and then to step back and even hesitate for a moment, we think, oh, God, no, I would never do that. It's happening today. It's happening today. People are crying out, God, use me, God, use me, God, use me. And when they get called on, they're like, uh, what about next week? I can't today, but. And they're, they're, they're putting kingdom business on the same level as a to-do list of chores and weighing it out, and it's an improper value. They don't grasp the value. This young man did not grasp the value. His value was on money. And though money does have, have some value, does it, have, does it even begin to compare to the value of an invitation from Jesus? All because he misunderstood the word good. I come from Texas. We drive good trucks in Texas. Anybody in Ohio drive a good truck? Do you have any truck drivers? We got a good truck? You got a good truck? Okay, that's good. Anybody else got a good truck? See, I have a good truck. What about a good car? Everybody drives a car. See, hands. I, let me ask the gentleman this. All the men in the house would raise your hand and say, I drive a good car. I got a good car. Guys, you got, you got a good car? Okay. Um, any of those same hands that were raised, would you also raise your hand and say, I got a good wife. Got a, got a good wife. <laughs> you understand that there's a difference between good truck and good wife. You understand that, right? They're supposed to be on two totally different levels. But yet we use the word so flippantly that I think sometimes we don't understand what is truly good. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. But if you don't understand the value of it, it can't produce in your life. And as I wrap this up, let me give you three people that understood the value. What they saw, what they said, and what they did. And saw the word produced in their life. Look at Mark chapter 5. Go with me there and we'll begin to wrap this up. Mark chapter 5. While you're, you know what? Forgive me. I moved too quick. Mark chapter 6. We're going to spend just a minute in Mark here. And I'm going to show you this one last example before we move on to that. I'd, I'd be disobedient if I didn't show you this, so uh, let's look at it. Mark chapter 6, look at verse 1. Then he, Jesus, went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Verse 4, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without what? Honor. Honor. 
except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. Did it say he would do no mighty works? Did it say that, oh yeah, you don't think I'm the Messiah? Well, I'm going to show you something. I ain't going to pray for any of y'all. Take that. No, this is not what he wouldn't do. His very nature is healing. His very nature is mighty works. He goes places to do that, to be that. It's not that he would not do it. It's that he could not do it. Why? No honor. They saw Jesus, but they didn't see him. They saw, you know, a kid that grew up around the corner. They saw, hey, isn't that, isn't that your brother? He couldn't be anything special. He's from here. Everybody's from somewhere, you know? But because of familiarity with him, they didn't recognize him. And you know what else they missed? The nature of it. Who is this man? Where does he get these things? Didn't understand the nature and did not grasp the value. And because of that, the Word made flesh was in their midst and could do no mighty works. How many times has the Word made flesh been in our midst and could do no mighty works? Because, man, we got to be relevant. We get, we gotta, man, we got to be a place where, just, where everybody just, just feels comfortable and feels welcome. And I'm, I, look, I love that. I love relevant. But do you know what's relevant? People are hurting, and what's relevant is the answer. That's what's relevant. Don't kid yourself. Again, don't try to make them get you before they get Jesus. They're going to hate you until they want to be just like you. Until a revelation of Jesus takes place and the cover's been removed. So, so don't, don't sacrifice honor. And I'm not telling you everything's got to be serious. Please hear the balance in what I'm saying. We love having fun. We think church should be fun. We think it should be full of life, full of joy, all of that. But there's a way to do it that, do, that doesn't uh, sacrifice, that doesn't compromise our honor of who He is. Amen. And I'm not, I would never just try to, you know, just, yeah, Jesus is just like me and you. And, and he was in the sense that he was a man and he came to earth as a man. But man, put him in his rightful place. Jesus is not just one of anything or anyone. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when he's honored as such, he can perform as such. Amen? Okay, I've taken a lot of your time. Mark chapter 5, look at this, verse 21. Now let's look at people who honored him and got what they came for. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. Behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he begged him earnestly saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Verse 24, perhaps one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. So Jesus went with him. May that be the story of my life. So Jesus went with him. It didn't even say anything that we have here. The man just came, pressed his way through the crowd. Keep in mind who this is, a ruler of the synagogue. 
The people this man works with, the religious leaders of the day, not exactly members of the Jesus Christ fan club, are they? Are they? No. He works with some people who'd rather see this man dead. But he's got a need in his life, and it's an emergency need. His little daughter lies at the point of death. So where does he go? I don't care what you guys say about him. He's the only one that evidently can do something about it. So I'm going to him. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and worshipped him, it says. What is that? What is that? Honor. Value. And we don't even have it recorded that Jesus said anything. Just went with him. Just, hey, I'll go where I'm honored. I'll go where it's valued. Our honor of him is an invitation for him to demonstrate himself in our lives. And he's not standing there going, you, you show me some respect and I'll do something. No, it's just, it's just he goes where he's honored. He goes where he's valued. You do the same thing. Why do you want to go sit somewhere where people hate you? You don't. You do the same thing. And what happened? On his way... That woman with the issue of blood, having heard that Jesus was there, right? Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if, I, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. What is, what is this? She recognizes him. The prophet of old said, he'll arise with healing in his wings. That's what they called that hymn of that garment, the wings. And she said, if I reach out and touch it, she recognized him. She saw him. She pressed through. She had no business being there. She was breaking the law by being there. She was what they called unclean. And she didn't care because this man had her answer. And I'm going to the man with my answer. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed from her affliction. Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around to the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? The disciples said to him, uh, A lot of people here, and he said, Who touched me? Verse 32. He looked around to see her who had done this thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened in her, came and fell down before him, worshipped him. Worshipped him. Humbled herself, honored him, valued him, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. The story goes on while he was still speaking. Someone from Jairus' house came and said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? And Jesus, the first recorded words that Jesus said to Jairus, turned to him and said, do not be afraid. Only believe. You came to me to get me to do something. There is no room for fear in it. Believe. You believe I am somebody. You believe what you believe about me is true, Jairus, but don't allow fear in. Don't allow fear to compromise it. Don't allow fear to dilute what you believe. Only believe. Only believe. He, he got to the house, and when Jesus said, she's not dead, she's just asleep, what happened? People mocked him. They mocked him. So he said, fine, and he shut the door on them. No value, no honor. And if he's going to do what Jairus came to get him to do, there can't be any of that here. We can't allow dishonor. We can't allow an improper estimation of who he is. So what did he do? He shut the door on it. Learn to do that in your life. Any voice that is not faith, any voice that is not drawing you back to the word of God where your situation is concerned, say thank you and shut the door. And get back, put your face back in the Word. Show me who you are. Show me who you are. 
They valued him. They honored him. And that little girl got up. Don't take the time to turn there, but Mark chapter 2. A guy was paralyzed and he had four friends. And they heard that Jesus was in town. And they put him on a stretcher and hauled his paralyzed rear end all over that town looking for Jesus. And when they got to the house that Jesus was, that he was in, there were so many people in there, they couldn't even get in. You read that whole, that whole story. Who was in there? Pharisees that were criticizing what Jesus said. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, remember all this, all, this is, all this is what's going on. These are not people that value and honor him, but outside are people that do. And when you value and when you honor, you'll do exactly what Jairus did. You'll do exactly what this woman with the issue of blood did. And you will press until you find him. You will push regardless of what the reputation of you might be afterwards, regardless of what all the rules say you have to do. You will press and push and dig your way in this word until the veil has been removed and you see Jesus for who he is. And you value him as that. These guys hauled that guy up on the roof and began ripping apart the roof and lowered him down. That's honor. I'll do what it takes to get to the man's feet. That's honor. Did they lightly esteem Jesus that day? Did they come and say, oh, a little crowded. No place to park. We'll come back next week. But how many people have left church on a Sunday morning? Because it was crowded that day. Lord, grow our church. Grow our congregation. And he does. And you have a little hard time finding a place to park. And you think, uh, next week. What is that? not valuing what's going on in here, not highly esteeming it, thinking that it could be put off. What if they had gotten to the house and said, can't get in. You know what? You've been paralyzed your whole life. You'll be fine. (laughs) For his sake, I'm thankful they didn't do that. They said, no, we're tired of waiting on you hand and foot. You know what? You're getting healed today. And one guy looks up and says, you think of what I'm thinking? And the other guy says, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they go to the top of the house. And they start ripping this house apart. Who cares if they get thrown in jail? Who cares if they have to pay for the damages? Jesus is in there. And they lowered him down. And the Bible says Jesus saw their faith. Didn't perceive it. Didn't, didn't pick up on it. Saw it. How did he see faith? Faith just tore a hole in the roof. He saw it. They lowered him down. He said, your sins are forgiven. The the people that didn't honor him were thinking, who is this that forgives sins? Jesus said, so that you know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, arise and walk. The same power that forgave you healed you. If you look at that, it says at the end of that account that they all went away glorifying God. What is that? honor. These are New Testament examples of people that got what they came for because they just honored him. They valued him. That's what causes the word to work in our lives when we value it above the symptom. The word works in our lives when we value it above the circumstances, above the situations. And we quit saying, yeah, but this. When somebody says, here's your answer, and they point to the word, man, you need somebody that's going to do that. You need one of those four guys. 
who you can go to and say, I'm dealing with some junk. And they say, well, look, here, here's what the word says. I know you're not thinking straight right now because you're pretty under it. And I, I know if you didn't have all this pressure, you would know this answer too, but I'm going I'm to be your friend. I'm going to help you out. Here, here's the answer. What are you going to do with that? Is it going to be, look, I've heard that before, but you don't understand. Here's what I'm dealing with. Or are you going to see it in the word and say, that's my answer. That is my key out of this. That is my ticket away from this. Thank you, Lord. I receive it. I walk in it. Glory to God. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. And you just worship him over it. Has anything changed? I don't know. I don't care. I worship Jesus. Well, what about your situation? What about it? I'm worshiping God. Leave me alone. And you value. You value. It's the word that's been given to you. It's yours. It belongs to you. Don't let it be stolen from you. By not valuing. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Did you get anything out of this tonight? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. We worship you, Lord. I know it's late. I know you've been here a long time. But can we just take a couple of minutes and honor the Lord? Would you just lead us in honor? Lead us in worshiping Him? And then I'll give it to you.